First Peter chapter three, and we begin at verse 15. This is God's word. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. That's as far as we'll read this morning in God's holy word. Well, last month on October the 12th, in Time magazine, there was an article related to NASA, the space agency in the United States. It said the mission managers at NASA spent $330 million to send a refrigerator-sized spacecraft 11 million kilometers into space to punch an asteroid in the nose. And we should be all very glad they did, because today the Earth feels a little bit safer than it did yesterday. I don't know if you followed that whole program. The spacecraft and the program are known as DART, And DART stands for Double Asteroid Redirection Test. If some object in space is hurtling toward Earth, NASA wants to make sure they can send a rocket up there and deflect it off its course. The article continued, This mission shows that NASA is trying to be ready for whatever the universe throws at us, said NASA Administrator Bill Nelson when the results were released. NASA has proven we are serious as a defender of the planet. Wow. Friends, from global warming to killer asteroids, so many people wonder about and worry about how the world will end. Billions of dollars are spent Billions of hours are spent trying to find a way to save humanity. 
But so many people will sooner listen to Nassau or Greta Thunberg than to God Almighty. When I heard about DART, that program, I thought right away of 2 Peter chapter 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was flooded and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Human history will end. But it will end in God's time and in God's way. But thanks be to God, in the Bible, there is a great hope for humanity. But that hope is only in God's way. The Holy Spirit, speaking through the Apostle Peter, tells us that one of the best ways to look ahead is to look back. In his letter... Peter teaches New Testament Christians by using many Old Testament examples. You can go through First and Second Peter and see how often he does that. And one example he repeats three times in his letters is the example of Noah and the flood. Second Peter 3, verse 6, Second Peter 2, verse 5, and our passage this morning in First Peter 3. And so this morning from God's word in 1 Peter 3, we'd like to consider this theme of the baptism that saves us. The baptism that saves us. And these words of Peter, we'll just deal with them very briefly, tell us, first of all, the need for baptism. The need for baptism. In verse 20... The Apostle Peter mentions the days of Noah. The days of Noah. And of those who disobeyed long ago in the days of Noah. That word disobeyed literally means refused to believe. And out of that refusal to believe... Out of that unbelief came disobedience. They didn't listen to God, and they didn't do what God was telling them to do. This is humanity's great problem that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And the serpent's question, has God really said? Adam disbelieved it, and it led him to disobey. And because we are the descendants of Adam, that is how we are all born into this world. Psalm 51. In sin, 
I was conceived. We don't listen and we don't believe what God has said. And instead, we believe and do what we want to believe and what we want to do. We heard from Genesis 6 this morning. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. In verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. They were unbelieving and disobedient. Now, we can look to places in our world and in our society. We can point to people, I'm sure, who we all would agree are really evil. I was speaking to someone at the Sports Dome in Embrun this past week, a young man whose job is to work to try to stop human trafficking. Not in some country in the Middle East or in Africa, but right here in Ottawa. And he said to me, some people are so evil. And we hear things like that. And our tendency is to say, when we hear about the days of Noah, or when we think about people in our world, but I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. But listen, Jesus spoke of the days of Noah as well. Peter speaks of the days of Noah. Jesus spoke of the days of Noah. If you're a Christian, you need to study the flood. You really do. The New Testament again and again points us to looking at and learning from the days of Noah. Not just to have a geology lesson about rock layers, though that has its place, but a gospel lesson. Is it any wonder that the devil loves when people disbelieve the flood? He loves it when our children are taught that this is nonsense and a fairy tale. Because over and over and over again, Christians, people are said, you need to think about the flood. You need to think about the flood. Jesus used the flood as a warning and a picture of his own second coming. Listen to how Jesus described those days. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, did you notice a difference in how Jesus describes the days of Noah? He could have spoken about utter depravity and evil and corruption, but he uses language of striking normalcy. This is a, a deceptive ordinariness of life, a contented unconcern, but it's just as sinful and just as dangerous as anything else. 
There is nothing wrong with eating and drinking and human relationships like marriage. But the question is, is that your whole life? Is that all you want to think about? Let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Is your life just business as usual, even when you hear the word of God? As they did in the days of Noah. Noah was a preacher of righteousness and judgment. Christ himself, by his spirit, Peter says, was speaking in those days of Noah through Noah's preaching. But his words were met with indifference and carelessness and unpreparedness. One writer says, when such matters as eating and drinking become ends in themselves and spiritual realities are neglected, it has become evidence of a gross materialism, a false security, and a cold selfishness. There is great evil in the world that comes out of evil hearts, But so often that evil is demonstrated in people who just don't care what God says. And they eat, and they drink, and they marry, and they're given in marriage, and they have their nice jobs, and their nice families, until the day Noah entered the ark. What a lesson there is for here. But listen to verse 20. Again, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. Isn't that amazing? Man's disobedience was still met with God's patience. I looked up the French word for patience. It's patience. (laughs) It's the same. Patience. As parents, we know that our patience can be one of the most tested things. We think we're patient until the sleepless nights come night after night after night. Until that particular irritating behavior happens for the thousandth time. And our patience is tested. Have you ever considered how patient God is? with you and with me. Second Peter 3, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient. And if we're hearing this word today and we're not in hell, it's an example of God's patience. But God's patience is not to be taken for granted. It is not simply presumptuously to be rested in. Remember the ark. After all the years of God's patience, eight were saved. Only a few people. The book of Hebrews says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark 
to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Whenever we hear about Noah and the days of Noah, it should remind us of our sin. It should have us remember God's patience. And it should compel us to consider our spiritual danger. Even as it is a call to faith in the Savior Jesus Christ. And that's what we see secondly. The need for baptism, yes, but the nature of baptism. What does Peter say? And this water, the water of the flood, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Do you see how careful Peter is there? Baptism, water, it saves. I hope some of you were concerned when you got your bulletin and you saw that the sermon title was Saved by Baptism. I hope none of you uh, looked at that and say, Phew, I was baptized. I'm good to go. So many people say that. So many churches have taught that in the history of the world. But not Peter. Not the Bible. Do you see how careful Peter is? This water of the flood is pointing to baptism. And then he says, not the removal of dirt from your body. Not just this water, physical water in an external way. Water baptism does not save. That's what Peter is saying. Just like it was in the days of Noah. Just being in the ark didn't ultimately automatically save. One of Noah's sons, Ham, was cursed. The ark in Noah's time was a picture of the visible church. The church as we see it. But friends, you can be in the church and not of the church. You can be baptized with water and not saved. You can have the name Christian without the reality of being a Christian. You can be connected with the people of God and even connected in an external way with the name of Jesus Christ on the outside. And it may not be true on the inside. Boys and girls, if you have a dishwasher at home, I wonder if you've ever had the chore of emptying the dishwasher. And sometimes you do that and you take a, a mug or a bowl and you look at it, it, it's upside down, and boy, it looks good. The dishwasher did its work. It's clean and sparkly until you go to put it away and you look inside. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe your dishwasher is better than ours. But we've had it, and you go, oh, clean on the outside, dirty on the inside. That can be water baptism alone for people. Clean in an external way on the outside, 
gross and dirty on the inside. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. When a man is a Christian, said one writer, in name only and not in reality, in outward things only and not in his inward feelings, in profession only and not in practice, when his Christianity, in short, is a mere matter of form or fashion or custom, without any influence on his heart or life, in such a case, this man has what is called formal religion. He possesses the form or the shell or the surface of religion, but he does not possess the substance and the power. People clearly profess to be Christians at times, yet there is neither heart nor life in their Christianity. There is but one thing to be said. They are formal Christians. Their religion is only a form. Beloved, water baptism in the Bible is not sacramentalism. It is not a magical act. It does not automatically save or give anyone a new heart. It is a sign and a pointer, the pledge of God's promise, like circumcision of old, Romans 4.11, the promise of righteousness by faith, not automatic righteousness, but righteousness by faith. Water baptism is a sign and seal of union with Christ and righteousness by faith. It is a sign and seal of God's promise. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There is a great blessing for us and for our children to be part of the visible church. 1 Corinthians 7.14, Paul says our children are holy. They are set apart. They're they are different than the world because they've been born into our families. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Your sincere faith, that's the issue. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise through salvation, through faith, not just faith, but faith in Christ Jesus, faith in Christ. And that's what Peter talks about here. In verse 18, he mentions the death of Christ. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God, he was put to death in the body, made alive by the Spirit. Faith in the death of Christ, the righteous one for the unrighteous, the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God for sinners. Christianity, one writer said, is the sinner's religion. It's not the religion for people who think they're good, who think they're okay. It is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Christianity is the great sinner's religion because it preaches a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, verse 18. His resurrection, verse 21. The resurrection, it says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. Do you see, it was Jesus' death on the cross which was his great baptism. Luke 12, 50, I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am till it is completed. Jesus endured the flood of God's wrath so that his people could be saved. He delivers from the curse by becoming a curse himself. 
Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Water is a dangerous thing. We need to see both sides of the picture of baptism. Water cleanses, but water is a dangerous thing. Drowning is the third leading cause of unintentional injury, death worldwide. Estimated 236,000 drowning deaths worldwide every year. Can you see Christ in the days of Noah? Can you see Christ in the sacrament of baptism? The waters that judged sin, the waters that flooded the world were the same waters that lifted the ark in which Noah was saved. In 1956, 60 years ago, on June 18th, Dawson Trotman, who is the founder of the Navigators, if you've ever heard of that group that teaches the Bible, often on university campuses, Dawson Trotman that day died by drowning, though he was an excellent swimmer. He was 50 years old at the time. He was married with five children. He was enjoying some time at a camp on Shroon Lake in New York. One afternoon, while riding in a boat together uh, with his friend and a few campers, one of whom many of you know was Ken Smith's wife, Floy Smith, was in the boat that day. They hit some choppy water. And Dawson Trotman and a female camper fell out of the boat. Dawson held her up to keep her from drowning as long as he could. They didn't get there in time. He died in the process. Billy Graham spoke at Dawson Trotman's funeral, and he said of this Last act of love and sacrifice. Dawson died the same way he lived, holding others up. But in a small way, that points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. The baptism of Christ saves. He experienced the flood of the wrath of God so that we could be held above it and saved from it. This is the baptism that saves, the baptism that Christ accomplished and that he provides. John the Baptist says, I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism that saves. The the Christ-given, Christ-purchased gift of the Holy Spirit who works faith in our hearts. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That's the baptism that saves. The washing of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, 
if we have been baptized, if you have been baptized and you're not believing this morning, even if you haven't been baptized yet and you're not believing, baptism is a warning of God's judgment. And it is even more a call in God's grace. In unbelief, water will destroy, but through faith in Christ, the water does not condemn. It cleanses. Only faith alone in Christ alone brings true blessing and the comfort of salvation. And that's what we see thirdly and briefly, the blessing of baptism. The blessing of baptism. Verse 21. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge or the answer of a good conscience toward God. Everyone likes what is good. People want to have what is good. A good job, the good life, good times, good health. How many of us have a concern for another thing that the Bible says can be good? A good conscience. How's your conscience this morning? Your conscience is God's witness in your soul, in your heart, that somehow, because the law is written on our hearts as image of God creatures, it testifies to us. How's your conscience this morning? Mark Twain, the writer, said, I would trade my conscience for the smallpox and seven kinds of flu and be glad for the chance. So many people are plagued by a bad conscience. We don't often talk to each other on that level. Often preaching never gets to that level. But that's where it needs to begin. Not from me looking into your heart, I can't do that. Not from your mom or your dad, because they can't do that either. Or your friends. But the God who knows your heart and has given you a conscience How is your conscience? If you say, I, my, fine, my, great. That shows that your conscience is bad. You have a bad conscience. It's not working the way that it should. It's defective. It's hardened. It's seared. The Bible says we're born with bad consciences. They don't work as well as they should. They're not tuned into God's word and God's law. But the conviction of the Word of God by the Spirit of God sets our consciences to work. And that's a good thing if it leads us to Christ. When our consciences become better, then our conscience becomes bad again. Now in the sense of accusing us and condemning our thoughts and words and deeds. Twain said again, there isn't any way you can work off a bad conscience, at least so that it will stay worked off, not that I know of anyway. How are you trying to deal with your conscience? Are you drowning it in a bottle? Are you distracting it with binge watching? How are you dealing with your conscience? How am I dealing with my conscience? Beloved, this is the great blessing of the baptism of Christ that saves. Hebrews 10, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Les cœurs purifiés d'une mauvaise conscience. 
purified from a bad conscience. Sprinkled. It's related to the sign of baptism. Those who have trust and faith in Jesus are those for whom he died. His saving blood washes what otherwise would be impossible to cleanse, the stains of a guilty conscience. Whatever your conscience was like coming through those doors this morning, you look to Jesus Christ and ask God to forgive you, and he promises, and he never breaks his promise. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wouldn't you give anything this morning to have a clean conscience? Some people carry things to to their deathbed. I've talked to people who are in their 80s and 90s. They're about to die. And they say, when I was a teenager, I read a letter this summer of a man in his 80s who wrote a letter to a storekeeper in the town that he grew up in because in his 80s he was convicted that he had stolen some candy as a, as a young boy. What would you give for a clean conscience this morning? Well, let me tell you, you can't give anything. Nothing, nothing that you can give can clean your conscience. But here's the good news. You don't have to give anything. Christ gave it all. Christ gave it all so that we can have a clean conscience. Let us draw near then to God. Having your conscience sprinkled clean, let us draw near, one writer said, unhesitatingly, frequently, intimately. Let us draw near for praise, for thanksgiving, and to bring our requests. We are not in the Old Testament days. There is nothing to keep us out. Such a ceremonial defilement, uncleansed consciences, failure and ritual washing that excluded people in former times. Christ's blood has dealt with everything. So let us draw near with the fully formed assurance that the way to God is really open for us. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be white as snow. And if you're someone who knows that you need the baptism that saves, if you're not trusting in a baptism that can never save, but if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, and if he's forgiven you so that your conscience is clear, then here's what God says. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. May God help us.